occasionally people ask me, how long does it take you to prepare a sermon? Always makes me go backwards to the previous sermon that I preached thinking how bad it must have been for them to wonder how much time I put on that. Generally speaking, in case you're wondering, at this stage in my ministry, it takes me between 10 and 15 hours to prepare a sermon. And um, yet the sermon that I'm going to preach to this morning took me 40 years, 41 to be exact, to prepare. And I want to give you a little, a little bit of background on this. Um, I actually have two sermons for you this morning, but I'm only going to preach one of them. You're welcome. The one that I had prepared is not the one that I'm going to preach. So this morning in the first service, um, I had a really difficult time getting through that focused prayer time that we did just a few minutes ago. Uh, I keep having images that I have seen that come out of uh, the Ukraine these days. And to know that to know that we have Christian brothers and sisters who are there, who are on the front lines caring for people. It's, it's just difficult for me to make peace with that. I think too often we, we settle into a nice comfortable Christianity here and the United States, and I'm grateful for that. Don't misunderstand me, but, uh, and we, we lose sight of the fact that other people are really struggling these days and the pain is real. And those images are a bit haunting to me these days. And so I had a really hard time getting through that prayer time in the first service and I went and sat down and after the prayer service then we did, uh, I think the choir, I don't remember the exact flow of it, but I think the choir did a song after that and then I was up to preach. And dur during that choir special, uh, or the, whatever it was, whatever song we sang, during that song, uh, I was looking at the watch and seeing how much time we had and I was looking at the sermon that I had to preach and I was thinking there's no way I have enough time so I started thinking how I was gonna condense that and immediately, God's Spirit said, you're not supposed to preach that one now. I have another sermon for you to preach. Which reminds me then of one of my favorite stories of an old German preacher named Hans. And he was famous for his preparation going into sermons and research and hours upon hours every week before he would get up and preach on Sunday. And it became a bit of a joke uh, to those people uh, who were around him, especially young preachers. You know, they, their joke was, well, he's always studying and uh, you know, he, he can't really rely on the Holy Spirit to give him something to say. And he hides behind all of that study, et cetera, the kind of things that they said. And so he finally decided one, one week that he would try it out, that he would not do all that preparation, not do all that study, and then he would show up on Sunday morning and trust the Holy Spirit to give him a message for the people. And so all through the song service, 
he was praying, God, you got to give me something to say. I, I need something that these people came needing to hear your word, and I don't know what you're going to have me say, and I need to know. And it came time for the offertory, and that, you know, offered a lot of times in Baptist churches, preachers kind of joke about not getting a sermon until the offertory, and then you got to get up and give it. But in that case, uh, it came offertory time. He still didn't have a sermon, and so as he walked, to the pulpit after the close of that offertory, he stood behind the microphone and he said this. This week, I was trusting the Holy Spirit to give me a message for you. And as I stepped behind this pulpit and microphone, God finally gave me a message. And here it is. Hans, you doomkopf, you should have studied So as I said to the first service, my name is not Hans, I am a Doomkopf, and I did study. <laughs> but based on where we are in our world today, I feel the need for us to step out of that routine and come with a fresh, shorter message so you're good with that at least, you get out sooner. So what this does though, it throws our interpreter uh, for the Spanish broadcast part of this it throws them off a little bit and she and I've already talked it throws our guy on the side off so that sermon that you see there that's next week not this week now all right and so here's our passage of scripture that we're going to look at please take a bible and go to Matthew chapter 9 and verse 35 and following will be into chapter 10 just a little bit but I say that this sermon this message took me 40 41 years to prepare because what I want to share with you today is a life, a set, well, it's a life passage. Normally we say a life verse, but this is a passage of scripture that God has used in my life for 40 something years. When he called me out of a life of drug abuse and evil living, God took me to this passage of scripture and he began to just knead it into my heart and into my life. For those of you who have been here for a while, four and a half years to be exact, if you happen to be one who takes notes in the, in the margin of your Bible, you will find that this is the same passage of scripture that I preached when I came here in view of a call. Let me tell you how that works with preachers. When you come in view of a call as a pastor, you know that you only are guaranteed one shot with that group of people because you're gonna get one sermon regardless because they've asked you to come and preach, but you could do such a horrible job that they'll never ask you to preach again. And so uh, you better give them something that's part of who you are. And so that's what I did with this passage. And today, as we face the, the reality of what's going on over in Eastern Europe, I think it's good for us to come back to this. And as God said to me in that offertory, the first service, you're preaching a different service, five minutes worth of preparation I had, three of which I was complaining to God about changing the sermon. And he said, tell them what you know. So in Matthew chapter nine, Jesus is working his way around the country, Galilee to be exact, and into Judah and you know, Judea. And he, he's, he's been on the move and he's been in, uh, reaching into the lives of people. And Matthew gives us a snapshot here of where Jesus is, not the location, but where he is as God's son in the midst of a ministry 
full of people. And here's what we read, Matthew 9, 35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And we come to chapter 10, verse one. Now this is a terrible place for a chapter division. Let's be sure that when Matthew put this gospel together, he didn't have chapters. It was one continuous story. This is a terrible place for a chapter division because verse one just picks up the thought of verse uh, 38 in chapter nine. And so let me go back and read 37 and keep going. 937, then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And he called to him, these are his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. Verses two and following there, he names those 12 disciples and we pick up in verse five and these 12 Jesus sent out. And I'll stop reading there. What do you see when you watch the images and listen to the talking heads on our television sets and media broadcasts, what do you see when they show those pictures of the war zone in the Ukraine? Now we could pick any, any other, a number of other uh, places on the planet at this moment and find images that are much like those. But those are the ones that are the flavor of the day for us for, for whatever reason that is true. And so when you see that and the horror that those people of that particular place are going through. What do you see? There's three key elements of this little passage that we've talked about here, and I'll just mention them briefly and then we'll go. But the first, first one has to be that verse where it says, and Jesus saw the crowds. What do you see when you go out in the public? When you're driving through the, the streets of our city, what do you see? When you watch TV and sporting events, for instance, and so a couple of weeks ago we had the Super Bowl and tens of thousands of people gathered in one spot and many people are worried about COVID. I wonder what Christians see in a gathering of people like that. Where's God in the lives of those people? I just, I know in my life, it's really easy to get like blinders on. And so I just see what's in front of me. And I, I have to do that because I have to compartmentalize. There's so many things in my schedule on any given day. And I have to make sure that I'm compartmentalized enough to be able to, okay, I got to deal with this right here. And I may well see what's right in front of me and miss hundreds of people just beyond that. Jesus is going through, he's healing people. He's teaching He's, he's doing what God called him to do, what he's equipped to do as the son of God in the flesh. And as he goes and does that, all of these people want more of him. Matthew gives us this kind of step back perspective. Jesus saw them. I know that sounds like I'm writing that a little too hard, but I don't really think so. 
Because we see people in different ways. You, you may well see people in a number of different contexts. Some people we see as friends. Some people we see as enemies. Some people we see as tools to help us get what we're after. Some people we see, you have a neighbor like this, I'm sure. Some people we see as just a thorn in the flesh. I think it's important that we recognize that Jesus sees them. But he, does, he doesn't just see them. Matthew gives us an insight into how Jesus sees them. So let's talk about those very briefly for just a moment. So we go back to verse 36. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Three different explanations uh, as to how Jesus saw them. The first one is he saw them as being harassed. Let me, let me use this example out of our background as a family. We, we are dog people, all right? You understand what I mean by that? Hello, are you there? Okay, just make sure. So we're dog people at our house. And if you're a cat person, that's fine. I mean, I'm sorry for you, but that's fine. If you, if you want to be a cat. My son is a cat person. And I had to tell him, I've taken you out of my will. There's, you just don't, of course, there's not gonna be anything anyway, but uh, so we're dog people at our house. And so at one point in time, we had this poodle her name was Misha, and uh, Misha was a great dog. We got her as a puppy, raised her up. Finally, uh, she got, I don't remember, 12 years old, 13, something like that, and her life kind of came to a bad end. She, she was deaf, and she was blind, and, you know, she, she had a great life, but the end of it was just kind of sad. And, uh, but in those latter few months, uh, I got stuck with a dog that my son and his girlfriend had. And I mean, stuck with it, like really stuck. I was on a, on a trip for church. I, it, I was serving God up abroad and I come home to this dog. Now they greeted me at the airport and my son's girlfriend who now is his wife. And just for the record, she'll deliver our second grandson, uh, from that family, at least, uh, in a week. And so but this is while they were dating. And so Selena meets us at the airport, meets me at the airport, and she smuggled in this puppy in her purse. And she opened the purse a little bit and this little head pops up and I thought, that's a demonic dog. <laughs> and as it turns out, that was prophecy. That's exactly what that dog was. <laughs> No, I mean, that's an overstatement, obviously, but I, we, we referred to this dog. His name was Nanook. He was white, short-legged, and, and a bundle of energy. We referred to him as the crack dog. Now, that's cocaine and something else mixed, okay, because he was just always wired. And so we had this poodle that we had had for a long time. She was a great dog. She was chilled out, you know. If I'd sit down and watch TV, she'd crawl up in there and sit with me in this big chair or on an ottoman that we had, and she would just lay there. She was perfect. No maintenance kind of a dog. Meanwhile, this other dog is on crack and running through. He would just run through the house. 
Well, over a period of time, he realized that he was faster, he could see, and he could hear. And so that gave him the edge over the old dog, Misha. And so Nanook would get, when we would be home in the evenings uh, uh, from time to time, he would just, do, I, we called them drive-bys, okay? He would run the circle through the house at a dead run and he would get up to the ottoman where Misha was. Remember, she couldn't see, she couldn't hear, so she didn't know what was coming. And as he would go by, he would jump up on the edge of that ottoman and nip at her and then he was gone. And so she's you know, just trying to figure out what's going on and it drove her crazy. That's this word, harassed. You know, people whose lives are kind of defined by always being harassed. Finances, health, relationships, all kinds of things. Life is a dangerous thing, really. One of the great benefits that we have as Christian people is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the comforter, the one called alongside our counselor. He's the one who comes to us and he gives us this assistance through life. But you know, there's a people in this world, there's people in this town, there certainly are people in the Ukraine today who are living as if they're at the mercy of life. Do you see those people? It's just come home to me again. Again, this passage is one that God's been dealing with for years, for decades now. And I keep coming back to it because I keep falling into this pattern where I just see what's right here and the pain of living of the people who are just beyond my vision becomes really pronounced. Jesus saw those people like that. It's one of the reasons he was healing them. It's one of the reasons he was teaching him. It's the reason that he came to this earth. Harassed, helpless. That word helpless means, uh, the, the word picture that it paints for us is an animal that has been uh, totally overwhelmed by predators. And it lays mangled on the ground at the mercy of whatever other predator comes along. Death is imminent, but death is not there yet. That's that word, helpless. Our world is full of people like that. I've had discussions recently with people in our greater El Paso community, not part of the church, part of a church, but not necessarily this church. And that's the impression that I've had is this person has been so beat up by life and nobody cares, or at least it looks like nobody cares. How do you see people? Can you, as we're talking through this, do faces flash in front of your mind's eye of people who are living these two words? And Jesus saw them like sheep without a shepherd, aimless, without direction, without a clue just wandering through life, as I call it, living by braille. They bounce off of one problem and into another as they try to make progress in life. 
Our world is no different than it was in Jesus' day. The people that he saw, different people, different faces, different communities, different times, same people. They're all over the place. Maybe even in this room today, maybe somebody came in here today going, I've got to find some answers for life because it's just not working. If that's you, you came to the right place. Because what we believe is our calling as children of God who have been saved by Jesus Christ is to connect other people, hurting people with the love of Jesus Christ. I start there because it's the love of Jesus Christ that wins us. The life that he offers to us is offered nowhere else because he's God in the flesh. He's the agent of creation where God looked at what he had created. He said, that's exactly what I had in mind. And they created man on top of that for relationship with himself and sin killed that. And so Jesus came to say, my love wins the day. My love applied in your life wins you. Forgiveness, life, he says, is yours when you trust him. But I get ahead of myself because there's another verse, excuse me, another word here that we need to make sure that we get a handle on. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. That's a New Testament word, thoroughly New Testament, thoroughly divine. That word in the New Testament is only used either about Jesus or by Jesus. It is a word that gives, a, it's a collective picture word for us. I'm gonna be kind of crass here and I apologize that I'm giving you a warning, okay? Uh, but the term that we would use in English to refer to what this one is, is the term, term guts. It's a collective of all of the internal organs in the Greek language. It's used by Jesus always when he's, when he's the one using it in a teaching context. He uses it of that, that, that compassion that compels us into action. He uses it, for instance, in the parable of the Good Samaritan. And the Good Samaritan, after all of these religious people had walked to the other side and totally refused to help that person who was harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd, the one who had been beat up by bandits laying on the side of the road, Jesus used that Samaritan. He had compassion on him. He sees him. He's moved at the deepest part of who he is. That's why we use that term. He's moved at the deepest part of who he is. And he's moved into action. That's true of the Good Samaritan. It's true of Jesus. In this case, he had compassion for them. And verse 37 is why, or is, is what he does in response to that. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest, send out laborers into his harvest and he called his 12 to himself, gave them authority to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. He names them. And then in verse five, these 12 Jesus sent out. Jesus never sees you in your trials, but that he doesn't also get involved. And here's the deal for us. And I'll close with this. That's our mission. For him to get involved means that he says to his church, 
see them, help them. And we can put all kinds of flowery language around those two things. But those are the two. If you want to boil it down, that's our mission. To see people as God does in need of a savior. Many in need of a friend. In need of assistance. In need of a savior. And then he sends us out. But that only happens when we see them well through his eyes and when we allow him to melt our hearts for them. I said from day one when I got here, I continue to say it. Now I say it with people in mind. In El Paso, that is. People are messy. Our lives are messy. And yet we're called into the mess as children of Jesus Christ. How do you see people? And what are you doing? For God's sake, what are you doing? Let's pray. And so, Father, we, we recognize that um, there's a lot in here for us. I'm sure that's why it's taken me 40 years to figure some of it out. But just figuring it out is not enough. We, we're called into action. And in our world today, not just in the Ukraine, but in other places, our Christians are suffering, suffering, suffering. Because our enemy works through the lives of other humans and inflicts damage. Help us to see those people in our circles who are harassed and helpless. Help us to see those who desperately need your touch and your love and your life. Help us not to become callous to that. Help us not to become distant from that. Impress upon us the need to get involved in the lives of people. For those who are here today who aren't those people, not by any doing of their own necessarily, although maybe it's all they're, they're doing, but whatever the case, they find themselves today in need of a personal relationship and the forgiveness that only Jesus can give them. I pray right now that your spirit would draw them to yourself. They may not even understand all that's involved, but they know that something's happening with them right now that they can't get away from. So we pray that you would draw them all the way home to a relationship with Jesus today. And for those of us who are here who have that relationship, drive us out into a hurting world with the good news of Jesus Christ. And that's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing invitation time. God's dealing with you about something. Now's the time to do something about it. Eric and I will be down here to pray with you. Whoa.